my wife accused me of being childish, so I told her to get out of my fort. But uh, it wasn't a fort, it was more like a cubby house. Uh, the accusation of being childish is kind of one of these things that really kind of cuts if you're an adult. Uh, some of us here were kind of, uh, kind of doing the adulting for the first time this week as we've moved off to uni. Uh, but uh, yesterday, as an adult, I was sitting back watching my kids play, and it was, we had some friends from school over, and uh, we're having a good time chatting with their parents, and uh, the kids had, like, they each kind of buddied up really well with the other kids, and it was one of those moments, and I'm not boasting as a parent here, but it was one of those moments where you do sit back as a parent and just go, the kids, they're just kind of getting on with playing, uh, they're happy, they don't need adult involvement, we're not getting kind of called out to uh, referee any arguments or fights, they're just kind of this carefree moment of enjoying time in the yard with their friends. And I was watching them, and like we're having this adult conversation about all these issues and struggles that are uh, taking place in the life of, of, of the adults that are there. And I was looking at these kids just kind of carefree on the trampoline going, Is, isn't, it great, isn't it great to be a kid? Isn't it great to be a kid? That, that, that stage of life where you've got almost no responsibility, that stage of life where you've got almost no worries, that stage of life where there are adults around you who do all the difficult things for you. They provide for you, they cook for you, they care for you, they clean for you, they even clean you if you're young enough. Um, and I was, I, was, I was just going, man, it would be great to be a kid again. But then there are some times where I watch my kids and I see what's going on in their world and I'm like, man, it sucks to be a kid. Uh, our kids often have these really big emotions that they're kind of feeling all the feels and they just don't quite know what to do with them. And so it usually results in them falling on the floor in tears, melting down. Uh, Sometimes they have these completely unrealistic expectations, uh, either of like objects that they they, they want them to do things and they just don't, and so they just kind of regularly have this kind of extreme bitter disappointment. Uh, One thing I was thinking about this week is our our kids are still small enough that they can be picked up and moved around against their will. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that you're kind of sitting down on a, a sunny Saturday morning and you're in your favorite chair and you're maybe reading the paper, drinking a coffee or doing whatever you enjoy doing and some larger human just comes along and lifts you right out of your chair and takes you off somewhere else, taking you away from what you were doing, what you were enjoying and, and there's nothing that you can do about it. Now that's got to, that's got to be pretty annoying. I'd be annoyed by that. Now, why all this talk about children? Well, children are on the agenda this morning in Matthew chapter 11, and it's asking us the question, what sort of children do we want to be? What sort of children do we want to be? And it's a massive question, and the question here that's being asked, it actually has eternal consequences. And, and, and as Matthew writes the words of Jesus out for us, uh, there are two types of children we have to choose from. We can be children of judgment, or we can be children of rest. We can be children of judgment or we can be children of rest and it all swings on our response to Jesus, how we respond to Jesus. Uh, now make sure you've got your Bible open and we're continuing the, our series in Matthew's Gospel uh, and, we're gonna, and so far we're seeing that Jesus is the King of the Kingdom of Heaven and we're up to Matthew chapter 11 uh, and if you are here last week you might remember that Jesus, uh, He was not meeting people's expectations. Uh, Jesus didn't meet John the Baptist's expectations. John the Baptist came and prepared the way for the Messiah, and he was expecting the Messiah to come and bring, uh, bring judgment, bring fiery judgment. Uh, but he was surprised by the mercy of Jesus. 
And again, these two issues, these two issues, these two ideas, judgment and mercy, they're on the agenda for today. Uh, And the passage begins with judgment in verse 16. Jesus, he looks at his generation and he looks at them and he makes an assessment. And the assessment he makes is not good. Uh, Have a look there in chapter 11, verse 16. Uh, Verse 16, Jesus says, To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace, calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. You see, Jesus, he's, he's comparing the generation around him with children, but not good children. These are children who complain. These are children who whinge. These are children who will not be satisfied. These are moaning children. And they are children who are missing what's happening right in front of them. Because right in front of them, John the Baptist, the, the greatest of the prophets of the Old Testament, he was preparing the way for the Messiah, but they complained. They weren't satisfied. And they completely missed it. And now right in front of them is Jesus, the long-promised Saviour, the Messiah, the King. And Jesus has come to them and He's been teaching them and He's been healing them. But they complained. They won't be satisfied and they miss it completely. Listen to how Jesus says it, says it puts it in verse 18. Verse 18, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man, now that's just Jesus, how Jesus talks about Himself, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now Jesus is saying it's a disgrace that Israel, the chosen people of the Lord, the ones who had the words of God, the ones who had the promises of God, that they could not recognise the greatest of their prophets, that they could not recognise the coming of their Christ, the Messiah, the one predicted by their prophets. They missed it. And Jesus is saying it wasn't because they were short on evidence. Uh, If you jump back to verse 4 of chapter 11, uh, Jesus is speaking to John the Baptist's disciples, and this is what he says. He says, go back to John and report what you hear and see. What you hear and see, not just what you've been told, not just what you heard on the radio, not just what kind of got passed down the line, what you hear and see which is the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and good news is proclaimed to the poor. That is what they saw for themselves. And this generation missed it. Even though they were longing for redemption and freedom, they rejected the greatest of the prophets and they rejected the Messiah Himself and they wrote them off and they complained. He's got a demon He's a glutton. He's a drunkard. He's a friend of all the wrong sorts of people. Now, we can sum it up with this line from the beginning of John's Gospel. Uh, John writes this about Jesus. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. You see, Jesus was not what they were expecting. Jesus refused to adjust and dance to their tune, and so they reject him. And so, tragically, the shoe goes on the other foot and Jesus rejects them as well. Jesus denounces this generation as foolish children. He calls them children of judgment. And uh, Jesus' words are stinging. He's not pulling his punches. Take a look there in verse 20. Verse 20, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. And as he goes on, he condemns Chorazin, Bethsaida, and a little bit later, Capernaum. 
Now, these are real places in real time. You can go home and look them up on a map. uh, And look at what Jesus says as he passes judgment on these cities. Verse 21. Verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now, just so you know, Tyre and Sidon, they are cities to the north on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and they were known as pagan cities, Gentile cities, cities that did not belong to the people of God. And these are cities that pop up a lot in the Old Testament, and almost almost every time they pop up in the Old Testament prophets, they're singled out for judgment. They deserve God's judgment because they rejected the God who made them, and they abused God's chosen people. And so for the Jews of the day, the people who would have originally been listening to Jesus and reading these words of Matthew, Tyre and Sidon were hated cities. You see, when God's people were at their lowest point, Tyre and Sidon kind of swooped in like vultures feeding off the carcass. After the bigger animals had come in for the t- kill, Tyre and Sidon came and, and, and had a meal on what was, re- what was left. And so for those hearing these words, they would have heard Tyre and Sidon and they would have hated these cities. They would have held them in contempt. They would have had nothing good to say about them. Yet despite how evil and wicked these places were, verse 21, verse 21, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. Despite how depraved these places were, Jesus says, even they would have recognized his authority. They would have repented. They would have turned back to God and begged for forgiveness. But not in Chorazin. Not the people in Bethsaida. No, they refused to recognize Jesus as the Christ. They refused to give Jesus their loyalty. They refused to repent and turn back to God. And as a consequence, Jesus denounces them. Verse 22. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. That's pretty intense there by Jesus. It's maybe a little bit more intense than you were hoping for on a kind of sunny Sunday morning. Uh, These are serious and somber words here. This is not Jesus meek and mild. This is not Jesus kind of the baby in a manger on the front of the Hallmark card. This is Jesus with teeth. Jesus with authority to judge. This is the Christ, the Messiah, the King of the Kingdom of Heaven. And the people of Chorazin and Bethsaida, they had treated this King with contempt. They wanted Him to dance to their tune. They wanted uh, the Saviour to come on their agenda. They wanted Him to be their pocket-sized Messiah who simply kind of came out and did their bidding whenever they wanted it. But they had completely misunderstood who they were dealing with. He denounces them. And the same will be for Capernaum too. And if you didn't catch how bad it will be for those towns, it's, there's no doubting how bad it will be for Capernaum. We see right there in verse 23, it'll be worse for Capernaum than even the wicked city of Sodom. Now, Sodom was an Old Testament city that was famous even today, famous for its evil and its depravity, a city that was renowned for the act of judgment from God that fell upon it. Now, you can read about it in Genesis 18 and 19. Things were so wicked in Sodom that God couldn't stand it anymore. And he had to step in in righteous judgment. And the judgment was terrible. Burning sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed the city, wiping it off the map. Uh, it kind of made the bushfires in, in Australia look like, a, look like a, a garden picnic. Everything was burnt up, everyone as well. 
And according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, the city of Capernaum, the city he spent so much time in, the city that he knew so well, well, this is what he says, verse 23. And you, Capernaum, will be lifted to the heavens. Sorry, and you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Now, like I said, that's, that's pretty intense from Jesus. It will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you, Capernaum. That's, that's, how can that be? How can Capernaum's actions be worse than that of Sodom? How can it have more severe consequences? Well, this is why. The people of Capernaum had the promises of the Messiah in their Scriptures. The people of Capernaum had seen the Messiah in their midst with their own eyes. The people of Capernaum had heard the very words of the Messiah, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. They had seen the signs of the Messiah, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised. They had seen it all. They had it all and they refused to recognize Jesus as their king. They had it all and they refused to change direction and turn their lives away from their sin and to start following him. They had not repented. And because of that terrible decision, Jesus says it will be worse for them on that day than even the evil city of Sodom. Now that's intense from Jesus. There's no sugarcoating what Jesus says here. But it needs to be intense. You see, we need the warning to match the danger. We need the warning to match the danger. Uh, I'm from Australia, if you didn't know that, I'm sorry about that. Um, um, But if you go swimming in certain places in Australia, you'll see a sign like this. Extreme danger. Very large saltwater crocodiles inhabit these waters. Now, there's a good reason for such a bright and loud, attention-grabbing sign with this dirty, great picture of a crocodile on it. It even says down the bottom, this sign saves lives, do not remove it. There's reason for it. The consequences for ignoring that warning are severe. It says on the sign, crocodiles have attacked and killed people. They have killed people. The danger is real, and so the warning is extreme. And when you go to the croc-infested waters you don't see a sign like this one. You don't see a sign like this, a cutesy crocodile saying, "Go, okay, I'll bite. You wouldn't take that warning seriously, would you? That's the sort of thing you'll see on the, 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 the bedroom door of a child, not warning you of croc-infested waters. And why should we expect anything different from Jesus? He is intense, but the tone and the content of his message matches the danger. And if the danger is real, if Jesus is telling the truth, and it is real, and he is telling the truth, then the loving thing, the kind thing, I would even argue argue the moral thing, is to warn, is to warn us. Even if the warning is unpleasant or disruptive or even offensive to our ears. 
Jesus warns us because the danger is real. And so we need to heed the words of Jesus here. And we need to heed them with the utmost seriousness. Because how we respond to what we know about Jesus will determine our fate on that great day of judgment, which is fast approaching. And as Jesus says, to whom much has been given, much is to be expected. The cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida and Capernaum, much had been given to them through the promises of the Old Testament, through the the presence and the teaching and the miracles of Jesus. They were without excuse and much was expected of them and they fail. And look, we're not back there then. Uh, We're not the generation of Jesus. Uh, We don't have Jesus physically in our presence, in our city. Uh, But we actually are in a far more privileged position than they were. You see, we see how the story ends. We've got the resurrection of Jesus to look back on. We've got the completed scriptures before us. Here we are together with other people who follow Jesus, opening God's word, hearing him speak, speak in our own language, reading it for ourselves. We are without excuse. Absolutely without excuse. So we must heed the warning. We must not fail to repent. We must not fail to bow down before the authority and the majesty of King Jesus. Otherwise, we'll be like these towns, sitting under the terrible judgment of God for rejecting His promised King and Savior. To be a child of judgment is a terrifying place to be. You do not want it to be you, and it doesn't have to be you. You see, the great thing here is that in this passage, there is another group of children described by Jesus, another group of children who are not children of judgment, but they're children of rest. So after speaking some of his harshest words, these are some of the harshest words Jesus has to say to anyone, after that, immediately after that, come some of Jesus' most gentle and comforting and gracious words. These are the words that people kind of uh, put up on Pinterest, these words. These are the words we love about Jesus. They're delightful words as he invites you and me and anyone else who wants to listen He invites us to come and be children of rest. So how do we become children of rest? Take a look at verse 25. Verse 25, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Revealed them to little children. Uh, A few quick things about these verses. What are these things he's talking about there? You have hidden these things. Well, I think in the context it refers to the significance of who Jesus is, the significance of his miracles, his identity, that he is the Christ, God's promised king. I think that's what the, these things is, who Jesus is. Uh, the, who are these things hidden from? Who's the who? Uh, well, we can read it there. The who they're hidden from is the wise and the learned. Now, I think Jesus here is speaking in air quotes. Um, uh, they are the wise and the learned. Uh, the so-called wise, the so-called learned, those who think that they know it all, the ones who are wise in their own eyes. And so he kind of, I think he has one eye on the, the, the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they thought, thought themselves as wise and learned. But it's not just them, I think it's the, he's, he's kind of looking at the, the proud and the arrogant and the self-sufficient and the self-saved religious people back then, but in our day as well, people who think they've got it together, people who don't think they need a saviour. And Jesus says, if you don't think you need a saviour, if you think you're wise and learned, well, the truth is hidden from you. It's hidden. You can't, you can't just kind of 
kind of put your thinking cap on and work it all out for yourself. And who's it hidden by? What does it say? Well, Jesus, the Father of Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, He hides these things from the so-called wise and the so-called learned. And He hides it from them because in the hardness of their heart, they don't think they need it anyway. You see, the wise and the learned, they refuse to humble themselves, to lower themselves before Jesus, the King of the kingdom of heaven. But here's the great thing. Are you ready? The Father doesn't just hide these things, but He reveals them as well. And that's the great news. Who does He reveal them to? Well, it says, to little children. Now, uh, not literally the little children, although He certainly does reveal Himself to little children, and it's fantastic when He does. And, you know, we just had a kind of an exodus of children out to the hall and to their kids' programs, and this is exactly what we're talking to them about in their kids' program, is to come and repent and put your trust in Jesus. But it's not just the literal little children. The Father reveals these things to those who come to Jesus like a little child. Uh, later on in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 16, it's up there on the screen, um, the Apostle Peter will confess that Jesus is the Messiah, uh, the Son of the living God. And how, uh, this is how Jesus responds in Matthew 16, verse 17. Jesus replies to Peter. He's called Simon in this one. Uh, had, Jesus changes his name on him uh, a little bit later. Uh, but um, uh, Jesus replies to Simon Peter. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. It was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. You see, this is exactly what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 11. The Father reveals his truth. He reveals the truth about who Jesus is. Now, you might be saying, well, hang on here, um, I see a problem. Uh, Peter, is an, he's not a baby, he's an adult, he's a grown man. Uh, uh, but Peter here is behaving like a little child, and he's behaving like a little child in a really important way. He's not just had a tantrum. He's behaving like a little child because he is being dependent on Jesus. Little children, they are humble they are teachable. They are lowly. They are the very opposite of the high and mighty, the wise and the learned, those who boast about what they know. And again, a little later in Matthew's Gospel, we see it uh, on display again. Chapter 18, when Jesus is with his disciples, uh, he calls for a little child to be called to come and stand amongst him and his disciples. And Jesus puts his hand on the child and he says this in chapter 18, verse 3. He says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position, that is the humble position of this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so do you get it? The truth about Jesus, it's revealed only by the Father to those who desperately know that they need saving. Only to those who know that they have nothing to offer like little children, only to those who are humble and dependent and broken and needy, only those who come to Him like children. Nothing in my hand I bring. And when we come to Him like that, the Father reveals the truth about Jesus to us. And we also see in verse 27 that when we understand the truth about Jesus, then we also understand the truth about the Father. The Son reveals the Father to us. 
And what it's saying there is if you want to know God, then you need to know Jesus. You can know God through Jesus. We can be friends with God through Jesus. We can have peace with God that lasts forever through Jesus. And so Jesus the King calls people to no longer be children of judgment, but to be children of rest. And it's there in verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the yoke isn't just the middle bit of an egg. Uh, The yoke here is that uh, piece of wood that was put on the shoulders of animals so they could pull heavy loads together. And the yoke here is a symbol of of becoming Jesus' servant, of being bound to Jesus. And so Jesus is asking, are you weary? Are you weary from trying hard and never quite making it? Are you, are you weary from going it alone? Are you weary from failure after failure after failure? Are you weary from your sin that causes havoc in your life and in the lives of others? Are you weary? When Jesus the King calls you to come to Him and He will give you rest. He will put your sin to rest. He will revive you by His Spirit. He will welcome you and teach you and lead you and love you because He is gentle and humble in heart and will give you rest for your soul. And are you burdened? Are you burdened? Are you burdened from the expectations of others? Are you burdened from the expectations that you place on yourself? Are you burdened by a long list of requirements that you just know you cannot fulfill? Maybe this morning you're burdened by the thought of certain judgment. That when that judgment day comes, that you will not be able to stand up, that you will not measure up, that you're not going to cut it. Well, Jesus the King calls to you and he calls, come to me and I will give you rest. He will lift from your shoulders the punishment for your sin. He will ease your conscience of the burden of guilt, the the frustrations you experience when you fail. He will ease from your life the expectations placed placed on you by others. His yoke is easy, he says. His burden is light. And it's easy and it's light because he has taken that burden himself already and he's taken it to the cross where on the cross he died the penalty for your sin which means that He can offer you rest. He can offer you real and lasting rest. Rest in a relationship with God. Rest in the freedom from sin. Rest that begins now and enters into all eternity. The rest that we can have now if we respond to Jesus like a child. If we humbly come to Him and ask for the rest that he promises to give. Now, if the band want to come up, we're going to sing a song that's going to help us focus on this promise of Jesus. Uh, We're going to sing these words. Are you hurting or broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. 
Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. And he's calling us to come to the altar. That is, come to Jesus, the the altar where your sin has been paid for, where your sin has been dealt with. Come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought. It was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We stand and respond to Jesus' invitation to come and be a child. Be a child of rest.